And we're looking at Revelations chapter 3 today. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, what we do is we just study the Bible around here. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through each book of the New Testament. We're at the end of our journey through the New Testament right now, and we're in the book of Revelation, one of my favorite books to study. It's a book that promises, in chapter 1, verse 3, a blessing to everybody that reads and hears and heeds the word of this book, Revelation 1, 3. And so we're getting blessed as we go through this book, and we're going to be blessed. But it's not just about hearing it. It's not just about reading it. It's about heeding it. And one of the things I like about this book, too, that's a fascinating journey as we go through this book, is it unfolds the future. Remember the word revelation. It literally is apocalypsis in the Greek. It means the unveiling. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ and his future for this world. And I tell you, with everything we're facing right now, <clears throat> with the chaos in our world, I think we're getting close. Soon and very soon, we're going to see our king. And so as we go through this book, we're going to see how Jesus is going to unveil the future past us in the future. And we're going to see, starting next week, we're going to see the future past the church age, because we're going to look at the rapture next week, and the church is going to be raptured, and then the great tribulation is going to kick in, which is the seven years of God's judgment upon the world after the rapture. That starts next week. But this week, we're going to continue as Jesus gives his messages to the church. Remember, there's seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, we looked at last week the first four churches. Pastor Mike taught for me last week and talked about the first four churches. Um, and e- interesting, at the end of each one of the messages Jesus gives to the seven churches, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit wants to say, notice, to the church is. That's interesting because he's only addressing one church at a time but he's using plurality in regards to churches. You know why? Because the messages of Jesus to these seven churches isn't just for these first century churches. They're for the 21st century church too, us. Because all the things he's dealing with in these churches are things we still deal with within church in the 21st century. And so this is very applicable. All scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? So that we may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So this is the God-breathed word of God towards not just the churches in the first century, but to us, the church in the 21st century. And we're going to learn lessons today as we go through this of what we need to learn in the church in the 21st century too. Now the first four churches, if you remember, were, were church in Ephesus, which was the persecuted church, the church in Smyrna, which is the compromising church, the church in Pergamum, which was the tolerant church, and then the third church in Thyatira. And, and what we see in each one of these is, I'm sorry, go back to that. Ephesus was the loveless church. I, I went one ahead of me. Uh, Smyrna was the persecuted church. Pergamum was the compromising church. And Thyatira was the tolerant church. Now we're going to see three more churches this morning. And let's jump right in. Jesus' message to the first church, which is the church in Sardis, was the dead church. Look, look what he says to the dead church, the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're what? Dead. That's the church in Sardis. You're dead. So Jesus says, wake up and strengthen the things which remain, which, which were about to die, for I have found your deeds completed, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Notice verse 3, remember therefore what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, and they're worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. And notice, interesting, I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, what's he say? Let him hear. And notice what the Spirit has to say, plural, to the church is. So the first church Jesus is addressing is the church here in Sardis, the dead church. And notice how Jesus introduces himself at each um, message he gives to the church. He introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now seven is the number of completion. 
And what it's saying here is, I'm the one that has the complete Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was baptized? He was baptized by John the Baptist, and what happened at Jesus' baptism? Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. That's why we have a dove up here, the symbol of the Spirit. And the Spirit came upon Jesus Christ. And then in Luke chapter 4, when he started his ministry, in the very beginning of his ministry, he quoted Isaiah, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And we know that the, the spirit that's upon Jesus was not only a complete spirit, but it's also a spirit that had seven different attributes. Luke, or Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. On who? On Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and also the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So it's a complete spirit upon Jesus, but it also has these attributes of wisdom and understanding and all these different attributes in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 of counsel and strength, of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. That's who Jesus is. And I love it because Jesus promises us that he's not going to leave us alone when he ascended to heaven. He's given us that same spirit. And we have the spirit of the Lord. And he's called our helper. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he said, and you shall be my witnesses. And so the same spirit that was upon Jesus is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is upon you too. And that's how we can do the things that Christ calls us to do is because we have the spirit of God to help us. He didn't leave us alone. But notice also it says Jesus, in his omniscience, knows the deeds of this dead church. And there's a reputation in this dead church. They have a name. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Interesting. They had some good programs. They had this reputation of doing this or doing that. Oh, that's a good church there in Sardis. But Jesus sees through all the exterior things. He says, but you're dead. You're dead spiritually. So what's the solution to a dead church? Well, first of all, verse 2, Jesus says, wake up. Wake up, church. And that's a word for the church today, isn't it? Wake up. Christ is coming back. We're about to see the King of Kings, the great tribulations, right around the corner. The second coming of Christ after that is right around the corner. It's time to not be sleeping. It's time to be alive. Wake up. Ephesians tells us, uh, in Ephesians 5, 14 to 16, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil, man. Wake up, church. Wake up. This is not the time to be sleeping spiritually in these last days. Then he also says a solution for the dead church, not only to wake up spiritually, but strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I've not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. And then he says in verse 3, remember, therefore, what you received, what you heard, and keep it, and then repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come by. No, here's, it's not only are we got to wake up, we've got to get out of our spiritual doldrums, but we've got to go back to God's word. Notice what he's saying. Remember what you've received. And what had they received? They received the apostles' teaching. They had received the teaching of God's word. It's sowed into their lives, and that's a key. If we're going to wake up spiritually, we've got to get back in God's word. This book living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to just pierce through our souls and our spirits, to go to the joint marrow of our very souls and even judge the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. This word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. This word is, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And one of the reasons why churches die is they get away from God's word. Pastor Mike was talking about that last week. There's a movement even in the evangelical church of progressive Christianity. We're trying to, they're trying to flow with the culture rather than stick with God's word. That, that creates a dead church. A dead church is a church that gets away from God's word. And a live church is a church that stays in God's word and loves to hear God's word taught and loves to study God's word and loves to meditate on God's word and loves to even memorize God's word. 
Delighting in God's word is a key to waking up spiritually, and that's why I love what we do here at Calvary Chapel, because it, it creates a spiritual life as we get into God's word. After one of the past senior pastors' conferences, back when Pastor Chuck, the founder of Calvary Chapel, was still around before he passed and went to be, went to be with the Lord about six, seven years ago, I was at that senior pastors' conference, and uh, it was a wonderful privilege as I'd go to senior pastor conferences for years. In between the sessions, there was opportunities to talk with Pastor Chuck, the founder of our, our movement of churches. It's 1,200 churches across the country now that all came out of Costa Mesa. I remember I was talking to him be- between one of the sessions one time, and I said, what was it like being a part of the last great revival within, within America in the late 60s, early 70s? What was it like? And he just kind of gave me one of those Pastor Chuck smiles, 100-watt smile. He just was reminiscent. He just smiled. He goes, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And he says, it's nothing like it. He said, he said, for a three-year period, he said, we were baptizing 900 young people a month for three years. And then the multiplication of churches where churches were just like mushrooming out all across California, then all across the country. It's wonderful. I said, Pastor Chuck, what, what, what was the ingredient to the church coming alive like that and just blowing up like that and it's just being, whoa, it's so great. And he said, well, the worship was amazing, he said. They had started Maranatha Music and they brought contemporary worship in and there was young people even writing songs and the songs were inspired by the Spirit of God and they were written right within their own church, based, many of them just based on Scripture. So worship was wonderful. He said there was, there was, in the community, he said there was a love. There was a love in our fellowship that was just a, I mean, it was agape love all over the place. But he said, you know what really brought the revival, he said? Was the love not only for Jesus, but the love for God's word. And he said that all these young people just, got this hunger and love to study God's word. And he shared with, you know, and I shared this last time I taught, I think, too, or during the prayer meeting Wednesday night, they were, they were doing Sunday evening church services where they were studying verse by verse 10 chapters a week on Sunday nights. You think our services are long? They'd have, you know, a 7 o'clock service. They wouldn't be out of church till 10 o'clock because they did 10 chapters a week. And this wasn't just people that have been churched for decades. These are young people that were new converts with their Bibles open. And the church was alive because they were receiving from God's word and studying God's word and being in God's word. And notice also it says, if you want to be alive, not only have to get back to remember what you received and heard, but you got to keep it. And you got to repent. That's what a live church does. The live church not only studies God's word, a live church keeps God's word. What did James say? It's, we're not just supposed to be hearers of God's word, but what? Doers. And the litmus test to whether you're alive spiritually isn't all the head knowledge that you have about God's word. Are you living it? Are you walking it out? Are you not just having it as, as all this knowledge? Are you putting into application God's word in your life and you're living it? That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. None of us are. But we should be pursuing, applying what God's word is teaching us. And then it also says, not only are you going to keep it, but a live church will repent. And that's a part of being a live spiritually church. It's not only you're going to be in God's word, you're going to keep God's word. But when you're not keeping God's word, you're going to repent. You're going to be like David, who said, create in me clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And a live church is a church that's loving God's word, staying in God's word, keeping God's word, and then repenting when necessary. That'll, that'll prove spiritual life. And also, it's interesting here, it says Jesus is giving a warning. He's coming like a thief. They're going to see that as we get to the rapture. When the rapture happens, no one's going to know the time or the hour. That's what the Father said in the Gospels. And so when Jesus comes and brings judgment to this world, it's going to come, bam, suddenly and quickly, like a thief in the night. But notice also in verse 4, there's a remnant of Christians there in the church, in this dead church. This church is dead, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They walk with me in white, for they're worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Now, 
that's talking about the white garment is talking about their character. There's a few in the church that are keeping their character. They're keeping their righteousness. They're keeping their walk. And that's always true with God's people. Even as the church gets more and more towards universalism and apostasy and liberal and progressiveness and everything else, there's still going to be a remnant. And I, I see us as Calvary Chapel Lexington or Calvary Chapels around the world. I see us as a remnant of churches and of Christians that are going to stick with God's word. That was Pastor Chuck's desire, too, before he passed in all the last several pastors' conferences. He told us as pastors, pastors, hold the course. Stay steady. Preach the word in season, out of season. Whether it's popular or not, stick with the word of God. And I pray that as a church, Calvary Chapel will stick and we'll hold fast to the teaching of God's word, and we won't stray off into the deadness of progressiveness. Because we're to be the remnant in these last days. Interesting, too, it's talking about erasing his name from the book of life. Interesting. What does that mean? Now, I'm not going to get into the whole theology of uh, eternal security versus non-eternal security this morning. I'm just going to say what it's saying there is there's a potential... If you go away from the Lord and you, you're not walking with the Lord, even though you once named the name of Christ, if you stay gone, if you stay in a backslidden state, you, listen, what does the scripture say? Potential there of your name being erased from the book of life. That's just a warning. Now, I think we can have eternal security. We can know that we're saved. We're not going to be saved this week and not saved next week if we make a mistake. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there are some scriptures that are warnings that don't stay in a backslidden state because there's a danger of erasing your name from the book of life. But I like the promise as we overcome and as we live for Christ, this wonderful promise. Jesus says, I will confess your name before my Father, before his angels. First John chapter two tells us in verse one that, that Jesus Christ is our advocate. Literally translated, he's our attorney. I tell you, no better lawyer in the universe than Jesus. And he's going to be our advocate, our attorney, our attorney before the Father. And then ultimately, verse 2 says, in 1 John 2, he says he's going to be our propitiation. That's a theological term, meaning he's going to be the satisfaction for God's righteous requirements for those that live for him. I love that. That means one day, Jesus Christ, when I face the Holy Father... He's going to stand, I think, in front of me, and he's going to say, Father, don't judge the sinner, John Hoppy, back there for what he's done. Don't judge him for the bad things, the sins he's committed in his life. Judge him based on what I did for him. When I, when I cried out to Telestai, paid in full it is finished. And at that moment, because Jesus is my advocate, and he's confessing me before the Father, I'm going to hear those words. Enter now into the joy of your master. And I'll see Jesus' face, and I too will be like him. It's going to be wonderful. That's the promise of Scripture. If you're an overcomer, if you're one that walks with Christ, if you're part of this remnant of believers that stay true to Jesus Christ, you'll, you'll have a, a Savior that will confess your name before the Father. But there's also a, a word from Jesus that says, I'll confess you before the Father, but if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So let's be those that confess Jesus before men. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, that's the dead church. Oh, by the way, the last thing in the world Pastor John wants to do is to pastor a dead church. Because, listen, I grew up in a dead church. I grew up in a church that was a Presbyterian church that got so liberal that they left the denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, and they joined a more liberal denomination because they wanted to be even more progressive and even more liberal. And I remember sitting in my Sunday school class as a little guy in this church, and they, they told a story 
to all the Sunday school, there's about 13, 14 of us, and we all sat in a circle, and the Sunday school teacher whispered a story in the first kid's ear, and then we all whispered it around the whole circle, and then the Sunday school teacher had the first person tell the story, and then they had the last person tell the story, and the story was totally different, and then the Sunday school teacher told us as kids in Sunday school, that's the way the Bible is. Because it's been passed throughout the centuries, orally and everything else, you can't trust. It's just fairies and legends and everything else. And you know what? That was the most dead church I've ever been a part of, and I hated going to church then. Because I remember seeing my parents and my parents' friends going to this church, and it made no difference in their life whatsoever. They lived like a whole rest of the world. They lived in all kinds of stuff of the worldliness of the world. But then I remember, as a teenager, going to my first Young Life meeting, and these Christians in our high school that were on fire for Christ, they finally got me to go to their club meeting, and I got there, and there was 100 kids there, and they were on fire for Christ. And I walked into this house in River Forest, Illinois, and there's kids up the stairway, in the hallway, all throughout the living room. It was a big, huge house, and there was uh, some guys up front with guitars, and they were playing some music I actually liked. And they were, it, was, it was electric in regards to the zeal and the fire for the Lord in that room. And then the, the, the young life leader came out with a Bible and taught us from the Gospels, verse by verse, through a story in Mark chapter 2. I'll never forget, it was Mark chapter 2. And seeing alive Christianity and seeing Christians that were alive and on fire, I said, I think I could get into this. And I did. And within a few months, I joined the ranks. And I became a follower of Jesus Christ because I saw alive Christianity. The last thing I want to do is pastor a church that's dead. And I love our church because I think we're alive. I love our worship. I love our emphasis on God's word. And I love our commitment as a church to pursue Jesus and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things unto us. Let's stay alive, church. And if you're dead, my word for you this morning is, Wake up! Wake up! And stick with God's word. And remember the things you've been taught here. And keep it. And get on fire and get alive spiritually. Wake up, man. Let's not be a dead church. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Now, second church. To the church or to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. What in the world is the Apostle John writing to a church in Pennsylvania for? I mean, (laughs) little history here. The founder of of Philadelphia, William Penn, took the name Philadelphia from this chapter in the Bible. And he said, we're going to name this city just like the the city in Asia Minor in the first century. We're going to name it Philadelphia because the word Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. And so he named it after the church here in the Bible. So it wasn't in Pennsylvania. Anyways, verse 7. He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David, and who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Now this is the description that Jesus gives to the church in Philadelphia. And notice who Jesus says he is. He's holy. The, the, the angels around the throne of God are declaring what? Holy, holy, holy is the lamb who is slain. Jesus, one of his chief characteristics along with the Father is he's holy. He's holy. He is without sin. And he's true. Remember what Jesus said about him. So I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He has the key of David. What does that mean? He's got the keys for the kingdom. If you want to go into the kingdom, you've got to go through Jesus because he's got the keys. In John 10, verse 9, he says, actually says, I'm the door. And he says, and he who opens and no one will shut, and he who shuts, no one opens, says this. Notice what he says to the church of Philadelphia. I know your deeds. Behold, I put them before you, an open door, which no one could shut. Because you have a little power, you kept my word, you have not denied my name. Now the interesting, Philadelphia, along with the church in Smyrna, were the two churches that Jesus didn't have any rebuke for. He's just positive about it. And I, I like that. I like the fact that this church was doing so well. And this is why I would say first church was a dead church. Church in Philadelphia was a faithful church. Because there's no rebuke. 
All he tells the church there is, is you got an open door. What is an open door? There's openings for God's service in the city of Philadelphia because the church is there. And listen, if, you're, if we're a faithful church, God's going to open doors for us too. I've seen it. As we're faithful to his word, as we're faithful in keeping his word, as we're faithful to repenting when we need to repent, as we're faithful in these areas, what happens is we get open doors. God gives us opportunity after opportunity to serve him. And I've seen that even in our church in the last 23 years. As we're just faithfully doing what God calls us to do, he opens door after door. He opened door, the door for us to get the 10 acres of land here. Just miraculously, he opened the door because we were teaching his word and he was happy with what we were doing, I believe. He opened the door for us to get these Jesus domes. Just open the doors. We got this 15,000 square foot sanctuary because a church was moving from West Columbia to, to Lexington and they, they called us and said, hey, well, we hear that you have some sprung buildings, you want ours? And I said, well, how much do you have into your building? They said, a million dollars. And I said, well, all we could do is $250,000 for the whole thing, and that's including the heating and air and the electrical lights and everything else. And the associate pastor was calling me and I said, deal. And I said, deal. We'll write you a check. And we did. Door after door. I remember uh, as we were starting the church several years in, we had the opportunity to start a U-turn for Christ program and help literally in the last 20 years of U-turn, we've helped hundreds of men get set free from drugs and alcohol, open door. God just set that thing all up because as we're faithful to do what God calls us to do, he's going to open door after door. We're talking with the elders right now of resurrecting what we once had too with the women's ranch because we're feeling led. We need to help some women now too. Open doors. And I talked to Pastor Jerry, the founder of U-Turn this week about it. I think God's going to open up some doors in the next six months for us to maybe start helping some women too. Because we get calls regularly of women that need help. And so open doors are opening. And, but hey, if God's going to open doors, we've got to be faithful. He's not going to bless us with open doors if we're not faithful. And notice also, it's interesting here, it says not only open doors as a part of being a faithful church, but God's going to open doors no one can shut, and we're going to have some power. What happens is as we're faithful to being in God's word and keeping it and repenting and being faithful uh, uh, churches, what happens is God grants us power. Now it says a little power, but listen, if we just have the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. Just a little power with God is a lot of power. A little power is given to the church that's faithful. And then also, again, notice why they have open doors and why they have power. Because verse 8 says, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. With the political environment we're in right now, it's very easy to become camouflaged Christians. It's very easy not to take righteous stands at work or even in neighborhoods because there's a lot of pressure right now just to be politically correct. Let's not deny his name. Let's still continue to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Let's not care about what people think. Let's care about what Jesus thinks. Paul said, I'm not a man pleaser. He said, Paul said, I, my chief ambition is to be pleasing to him, whether at home or absent. Let's be that way too. That's, I don't care about being politically correct. I care about being biblically correct. Amen? Let's not deny his name, even though there's a lot of pressure in our culture to do that. And look at verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I'll make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I've loved you. Now this is talking about synagogue of Satan. The main persecution in this church in Philadelphia were by religious people. There were religious Jews that wanted to shut down the church. Look at Jesus' view on these religious Jews that were persecuting the church. They're of Satan. You know that sometimes religion could be actually used by Satan to crush things that God is doing. And listen, we see that in, our, in the false religions that are around the world right now. We see there's one billion Muslim people right now. And many of these Muslim people are, 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 are fine, they're moral, whatever else, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a portion of them that are part of this Islamic conquering terrorism stuff that's trying to stamp out Christianity in some of the countries that are Muslim dominated, and listen, 
That's Satan's work in trying to kill and persecute Christians. This is a this religious people here in the city of Philadelphia were trying to shut down the church, and Jesus says that's the synagogue of Satan. The religious Jewish people that were doing that. They say they're Jews, but they're not. They lie. Because they weren't God's people in their heart is what he's saying. Behold, I'll make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I've loved you. Now that's ultimately say, saying those that are enemies of the cross, those that are enemies of God, one day will even bow down at our feet. When is that day? When Christ comes back. Philippians chapter 2 says when Christ returns, he'll have the name above every name and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord not only in heaven, but on earth and even under the earth. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. But I tell you what, it's a lot better to bow your knee right now. It's a lot better to confess him as Lord right now. Because if you wait till the return of Christ and judgment comes at that point and you haven't confessed his name, too late. You confess him right now and bend your knee right now. He'll be your savior instead of your judge. But it's saying that even these enemies of the cross one day will come and bow down at, the, at your feet and at Jesus' feet. And notice verse 10, because you have kept my word of my, my perseverance, I also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell upon the earth. That's talking about the great tribulation. And it's saying the church, the faithful church, will not face the testing of the great tribulation. Why? Because of the, of the, the rapture that will take the church out of here before that testing upon the whole world of the great tribulation. We'll look at that in more detail next week as we look at the rapture. Verse 11, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one will take your crown. The crown is your reward. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from me anymore, and I'll write upon him the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the last illustration, image that Jesus gives here is when we get to heaven, we're going to be pillars in heaven. Interesting. Pillars in heaven, and his name is going to be written on each one of us in heaven. There will be new names written on us, but also the names of God will be written on us. Interesting. Does that mean we're all going to be, we're all going to be tatted up? I mean, we're going to have the, all these names emblazoned on us and stuff, and I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just remember my oldest son. I, I'm not into tattoos because I don't like needles. I don't like anybody injecting anything into me, especially ink. God bless you if you have a tattoo. You're braver than I am. But I remember, I remember when my oldest son turned 18. He'd been wanting a tattoo for a long time. I'd fought tooth and nail with him, but after he's 18, he's in college, he went away and he got a tattoo and I was ticked. <laughs> said, just because you're out of my house doesn't mean you don't listen to me anymore, but he didn't listen to me. He went and got a tattoo. And he came home. And I was still ticked. I'm going, what are you doing? You're putting that stuff on your body. And he pulls up his shirt and he shows me the tattoo. It's on his side. And it says, he must increase, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. John 3.30. said, <laughs> can't be mad at him anymore. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And there was a cross right there too, right by the tattoo. Like, okay, you got me. I'm still not going to get a tattoo, but you got me. And when we get to heaven, we're going to have names of God written over us. Names. We're going to be pillars in the temple of God, and his name is going to be written on us. Names like Jehovah Sikhanu. The Lord who is my righteousness. Names like Jehovah Rapha, right? The Lord who is my healer, who's made me whole. Names like Jehovah Rahe, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And for the rest of eternity, we'll have his names emblazoned on us to remind us of how great our God is. How great is our God? And we'll be pillars in the temple of God with his names emblazoned across us. Amen? Amen. Don't all get tattoos this week and come back to church next week, okay? <laughs> Pastor Don, look at my tattoo! All right, <laughs> uh, we'll keep going here, please. <laughs> to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write 
the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation, God says this. Now, another description of Jesus. He's the amen. What does amen mean? So be it. His promises are yes and amen. Also, he's faithful. He was faithful yesterday. He'll be faithful today to you. He'll be faithful forever. That's who he is. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he's a true witness. What does that mean? You want to know what God looks like? Jesus is the true witness of God. God is love. God is grace. God is mercy. God is truth. We see that in Jesus. He's the true witness. He's the beginning of creation. I'm careful with that. The cults will use that to say, hey, hey, he's created. He's the beginning of creation. The word beginning, go back to the original language. He's the prominent one of creation. Actually, one of the translations translate, he's the ruler of creation. Anytime you see something that doesn't jive with biblical theology, go back and study the original language and study it a little bit more. He's the prominent one. He's the ruler of all creation. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot. I'm going to what? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, you become wealthy, have need of nothing, you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you might become rich in white garments that you might clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed in your eyes self to anoint your eyes that you may, what? See. Now, a little history on this church. The church in Laodicea was a church that was um, about six miles from two different cities. Colossae, Laodicea was about six miles from Colossae and about six miles from Heriopolis. And what this church had was they had a bad water system. They couldn't, the wa their water was infected with bacteria and everything else. And so what they did is they had an aqueduct built, and that aqueduct would, would pipe in water from Colossae, which was by the mountains, which was cold water, and then from Heriopolis, which had uh, hot springs in their city, and that was hot water that was piped in. So you have cold and hot water brought into the city. But the problem they had after six miles of pipeline, that, that, that water would arrive there, and it'd be lukewarm. And it wasn't cold and it wasn't hot. And sometimes the lukewarm water, even from this, uh, the, going from the hot water, which is pure, would get infected with bacteria and make people sick because the bacteria, because it went from being hot to being lukewarm. Have you noticed that it's good to either have your water cold or hot? I mean, who likes lukewarm coffee, right? Who likes tea, you know, when it's lukewarm? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's no good. Makes you even kind of sick. Oh, put, put some heat in that coffee, man. Or if it's cold, sweet tea. Put, put some ice in that sweet tea. And so the analogy, first part of the analogy is this. You Christians in Laodicea that are lukewarm, you're making God sick. You Christians that are saying, hey, I name the name of Christ, but you're living like the rest of the world. Makes, literally, the word uh, spit you out is vomit. It makes God want to throw up. Those are some strong words. You Christians that are, have one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus, and you're straddling the fence, that makes God sick. Time to make a decision for Christ. Either be, Jesus put it this way, he said, either be for me or be against me. And I tell you what, I've had personal experience in this. My most miserable three or four months of my spiritual life was my sophomore year in college when I got pulled back into the world. And I spent a whole semester, my sophomore year, my fall semester, getting, going back to the vomit of the world, to going back to getting drunk on the weekends, going back to having... Uh, immoral, immorality with, with a girlfriend I was with at that time dating for those three months, going back to just being like the rest of the world. And it was miserable because I, I had too much of Jesus to enjoy the world anymore, and, and I was having too much of the world to enjoy Jesus. I had to make a stance. And I remember going back at Christmas, getting back from my Christian, Christian friends after uh, going back to my hometown and repenting and saying, a done Done. No more. 
I confess this, Lord. I'm so sorry for my behavior the last three or four months. I'm off the fence. I'm going to be on fire for you again. And the next semester was when I got called into ministry. And I had an opportunity to preach in some churches. And, man, the Lord, do this the rest of your life. I was 19 years old. But I'm so glad I got off the fence. Because it's a miserable existence to being lukewarm Christians. Notice also the analogy that he gives there of clothing and of uh, eyes and, and clothing and nakedness and then also eyes to be able to see, eye salve to be able to see, he talks about, and then riches physically versus riches spiritually. The analogy is there too because the city of Laodicea was this banking city that had a lot of wealth. It was on a major trade route. And not only did it have a lot of wealth, but it had also a clothing industry because they had this specialty in black wool that made this beautiful black wool clothing garments. And then they also had a medical center that they invented an eye salve that helped, helped people have sight again with this eye salve. And so what, what, what Jesus is saying is, I know what you think you are. You think you're rich. But because of your lukewarmness, you're poor spiritually. I know who you think you are. You think you, think you have all these great clothes and everything, but you're naked because of your sin before me. I know who you think you are. You, get, you got this eye salve that makes you think you got this, this great medical discovery to help people see, but to me, you're blind because you're lukewarm. Remember what Jesus said? Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in the seal, but store up your treasures in where? Heaven. Have spiritual riches is what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus closes up this message to this, uh, this lukewarm church by saying, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and what? Repent. Amazing. This half-hearted, complacent church, Jesus still loves. I love that about Jesus. He's full of truth, but he's also full of grace. And even when we backslide, even when we get half-hearted, even when we're straddling the fence of the world and Jesus, Jesus says, I still love you. And what I want you to do is repent. And the reason why I reprove you is because I love you. You know, um, my job as the pastor of Calvary Chapel isn't to be liked by you all all the time. I know sometimes you walk out of here after we're teaching the word to you and there's some tough things and I'm not giving you the warm fuzzies you want and sometimes you say, what is he talking about? And it's roast Pastor John time, right? But the reason why we stick to this pure teaching of God's word and we'll bring hard verses like this verse even about being a lukewarm Christian and making God sick is because we love you too much not to tell you the truth and to challenge you in your sin. Because I love you too much to let you just be complacent, half-hearted, lukewarm Christians. My job is, yeah, to, to comfort the afflicted, but my job also is to afflict the comfortable. My job is to bring the living sword of God's word into your lives so that he can judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart and wash you with that sword and that word and help you be the dads and the moms that are godly. To help you be the husbands and the wives that are godly. To help you be the Christian witnesses in your families, in your neighborhoods, and at work that are godly. My job is not to just give you warm fuzzies every week. My job is to train you in righteousness. And that's what God's word will do as we, as we continue in it, we keep it, and we repent when necessary. Now listen. I love this last verse we'll look at here, verse 20. He says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what does Jesus promise? I'll come in. And we'll dine with him, right? And he with me. And he who overcomes, I'll grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit has to say, notice, to the churches, plural. Interesting. Picture Jesus is giving is he's outside the church. And why is he outside the church? Because the church is lukewarm. It's worldly. And Jesus has actually been pushed out of the church. 
But what Jesus is doing now is he's knocking on the door of the church. He's saying, I want to get back in the church. I want to get back, and I want my presence to be in your church. I want my power to be in your church. I want my glory to be in your church. Let me in again. And Jesus says, if you let him in, he'll come in, and then he'll dine with you. Now, what does that mean? In the Midian's culture, dining was an intimate experience because they'd have a big bowl of soup. They'd have one loaf of bread, and they'd pass the bowl and the soup with the bread. You'd put your, the lo- loaf in there with the soup, and you'd eat it, and then you'd pass it to the next guy. There's no germophobia in the, in the Midian's culture. You shared food, you shared germs. And it was an intimate act. That's why Jews would never, never eat with unclean Gentiles because it was an act of becoming one. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you get things right and you open the door of your heart to me and open the door of your church to me, I'll come in and I'll be intimate with you and I'll dine with you and you with me. And it's not only, I, I, don't, I think it's just a promise to churches. It's a promise to individuals. You see, before you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, Jesus is on the outside. The Bible says you're not automatically a child of God. You're only a child of God, John 1.12, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And, you know, when I was growing up, and we had a lake house. My grandparents had a lake house in Wild Rose, Wisconsin. And I remember every summer we'd go up there for sometimes the whole month of August. It was paradise to me. And I remember sitting in this Presbyterian church up in Wild Rose, Wisconsin, a little country church. Every Sunday we'd be up at my grandparents' lake house. And I remember sitting there as a kid. This is before I was even saved. But I remember there was a painting right behind the pulpit. And throw the painting up there. This is the painting that was behind the pulpit. It was of Jesus. And that painting was behind the pulpit, and many times when I was daydreaming during the sermons, I'd be looking at that painting, and I'd say, that's an awesome painting of Jesus, but, but where's, the, where's the doorknob? And I didn't see any doorknob. And one time I was talking to somebody about that, and they said, there, there's purposely, the artist purposely didn't paint a doorknob, because there's no doorknob when Jesus is knocking on the outside. There's only a doorknob on the inside, because he's a gentleman. He's not going to crash the door down. He's not even going to open the door. We have to open the door. And then he'll come in, and he'll dine with us, and we with him. So if you're here this morning, and you've never opened the door of your heart to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And all I'm going to do is pray a simple prayer where you can receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord, and you can open the door. And let me tell you something. If you've never done that before, Jesus is knocking. And he's saying, I want to be your friend. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He died for you. But you got to open the door. And then he'll come in. And he'll have fellowship with you and you with him. And he wants to do that. But church, before we get to that part of the prayer, I, I want to challenge you too, church, Christians. Wake up, man. We, I, I firmly believe with everything that's going on in our culture right now, we are in the last days, in the very, very last days. And we need to get right or get left, man. This is not a time to be playing church right now. This is a time to be on fire for Christ. Let's wake up. Let's strengthen the things that remain. Let's be people of God's word that hold fast God's word. And church, Christians, please, let's be a faithful church. I don't care what the rest of the world is saying. Let's stay biblically on course and be a faithful church. And God's going to open doors as we do that. We're going to see great things, I believe, in the next several years here at Calvary Chapel Lexington as we stay faithful. He's going to open doors, and he's going to give us power if we're faithful. And for goodness sake, church, let's not be lukewarm. Man, make a decision. Quit playing with the world, man. Quit straddling the fence. Let's, let's get on Jesus' side and stay on Jesus' side because the most miserable state to be as a professing Christian is one, one foot in the world, one foot in Jesus. Let's jump off the fence and get, get on fire for Christ. Hot on fire for Christ. Let's have the zeal of the Lord be a part of our lives. Amen? And if you're here this morning, you've never opened your heart, do it. It's the best decision you'll ever make. All, you're gonna, all I'm going to ask you to do is to raise your hand, I'll pray for you as you're, as you're in your seat, 
And I'll, I'll allow you to have that opportunity to open the door of your heart, because he's knocking. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for another Sunday in your house. Thank you so much, God, for your word. Your word is true, Lord. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you, God. Every time we get together and study your word, you speak to us. Your voice is heard. And Father, I pray for all the Christians that are here right now. I pray, God, that we would not be asleep spiritually in these last days. Help us to wake up. And help us to be people that are remembering God's word and keeping God's word and repenting when necessary. And Lord, I pray too that we'd be faithful, like the church in Philadelphia. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to have open doors and some power in this church because we're faithfully walking with you and keeping your word and living by what we're taught. Not just hearing it, but doing it, Lord. I pray too, Lord, that we wouldn't be lukewarm. We wouldn't be half-hearted Christians, Lord. We'd be wholehearted. That the zeal for you would consume us as it did Jesus. Help us to be people that are on fire for Christ, not lukewarm, God. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to open the door of their heart to Jesus. You stand at the door right now, God, you're knocking. If you're here this morning and you want to open your heart to Jesus, He's on the outside. He wants to come in. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to be your friend, your Savior, your Lord. If you hear you want to do that, I'll just lead you in a simple prayer from your seat. All I'm going to ask you to do is raise up your hand and say, I want to open my heart to Jesus this morning at Calvary Chapel. If you're here this morning you want to do that, just raise your hand. Slip your hand up right now. And I'd love to pray for you this morning to receive Christ. He's knocking. right over here on the left. Praise the Lord. He's knocking. Keep your hand up. I'll pray for you in one second. Anybody else here this morning that wants to open their heart? Right here in the middle. Praise the Lord. Keep your hand up. He loves you so much. He's knocking. Anybody else sense a knocking and open, wanting to open their heart to Jesus this morning? Just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Praise the Lord here. Two right here in the middle. Two. Great decision. Keep your hands up. Okay, praise the Lord. Right right here in the back theater seats too. It's knocking. Praise the Lord. Okay, for those that have their hands raised, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up and I'll pray for you right now. Just stand up. Don't be afraid to stand for Jesus. He died for you. He could stand for him. Stand up right now. And I'll 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 pray for you this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right back here. Praise the Lord. Stand up. Go ahead, stand up. Just pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus. Pray that out loud with those that are standing. Lord Jesus, I trust you, Jesus, to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Lord Jesus, I receive you into my heart and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.